Hey folks, welcome to the House of Krause. I'm Richard Krause. I'm your host for the evening. Listen, we have just thrown the speedy spam quiche into the oven. Uh, the smell, you just take a deep breath. You can almost smell the hot spam. You're gonna love that. So stick around, we'll slice that up a little bit later on. First of all though, I wanna introduce you to some of the people that stopped by the House of Krause. Uh, Rebecca Hall, now if you have seen movies like, um, I don't know, Vicky Cristina Barcelona, The Prestige, The Town, Frost Nixon, Iron Man 3, or God forbid, Transcendence, uh, you know who she is. She's an enormously talented actor uh, who right now, as we speak, is in a movie called The Gift, which is uh, playing in theater. She plays the wife of Jason Bateman, who kind of gets in the middle of a decades-old feud between Jason Bateman and Joel Edgerton. It's a terrific, spooky, psychological thriller, and she's amazingly good in it. Uh, I spoke with her, and I wanted to pull this up because I just thought it was an interesting conversation. We spoke at the House of Krauss a while ago about a movie called The Awakening, and during that conversation, we talked about spiritualism. Uh, in the movie, she plays uh, Florence Cathcart, a published author on supernatural hoaxes who works with the police to expose charlatans and debunk supernatural phenomenon. So the conversation sort of naturally drifted into that, but I was really uh, taken with some of her answers. So we will get to that in, in just a minute. Also, Thomas Lennon came by the House of Krauss now. If you watch the dearly departed odd couple, I don't think it's on anymore, it didn't make it, uh, you'll recognize his face, but you probably know him more uh, from television shows like, well, Reno 911. A huge hit, he was all over it, helped create it, helped write it, and the movie. Uh, what you might not know about him is that he's also a screenwriter, and a very successful one. Movies that he has written have gone on to make over one billion, that's billion with a B, uh, dollars, and they include things like Night at the Museum, all of those, the Reno 911 movie, um, all kinds of things. We talked about being a screenwriter in Hollywood when you have enormous hits on your resume, and I think you might be surprised at some of the things that he has to say about how screenwriters are uh, treated in Hollywood. Uh, Phyllis Smith, if you saw Inside Out, you know her as the voice of sadness. If you watch The Office, you know her as Phyllis. What you might not know about her, though, is that she was once a burlesque dancer. She had all kinds of crazy jobs before finding fame, and we talked about that a little bit. But first up, let's talk about ghosts and things that go bump in the night at the House of Krause with Rebecca Hall. For a character like this, did you do research into spiritualism, or was that not terribly necessary um, for you? I did. I did quite a bit actually, only because it was interesting. Yeah, it's fascinating. Because um, right? yeah, yeah. it was such a sort of interesting time in British history. Because we're so, yeah. Please do, because <laughs> we're so not a nation that's particularly prone to um, the fantastical. You know, we're quite culturally. England's always known for being quite earthbound right. and um you know realistic i suppose america's got a more better reputation for for being taken in by that type of type of thing but this is you know this is a time in england that was really peculiar in that it was enormously popular seances spiritualism anything that was kind of outside of the, the occult all this kind of stuff was was big business 
And that was, and there's a lot of stuff written about it, and it's really interesting. It's really interesting. Well, I think of Arthur Conan Doyle uh, mm. wrote a great deal about it. He believed in. It. I mean, he you know he believed in little fairies yeah, that yeah. lived in the garden and yeah. the whole thing. I mean, yeah, yeah. And, and and I do find it kind of endlessly fascinating. I mean, the very real reason that it all happened, I guess, is because of the great loss of the Absolutely. war. And, and well, the statistic that I kept using in my head was the fact that you don't find in that period in history you you wouldn't you literally wouldn't come across a single person that wasn't in mourning for somebody yeah. that didn't have a direct member of their family dead from the war yeah. you just wouldn't come across a single person and if you walk down you know a street in central london you wouldn't see any men in their 20s right. Right. or their 30s pretty yeah. much um you know and you see women pushing prams with no husbands everywhere i mean it was a peculiar time for that and a you know a time that you know thankfully we won't repeat yeah um, this is that kind of warfare is different now. Well, it, it's interesting because in the uh, opening couple of scene or scene in the film is a seance and, and you debunk, you yeah. you show how the wick was pulled out of a candle, which is a very cool track and all that <laughs> stuff. Um, and then uh, one of the women, though, uh, even though you have completely proven that this was uh, a farce, mm-hmm. is angry with you yeah. because she just That's wanted that comfort, whether it was real or not. I'm not and that I thought was fascinating. Well, that, that's sort of the, you know, that's the, the crux of all of these things is that ultimately it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, everyone keeps asking me, do you believe in ghosts? And blah, blah, blah. Ultimately, it doesn't really matter whether any of us believe in ghosts or not. The point is they serve, the idea of them serves a purpose for humanity. You know, it, whether it's, it's dealing with the idea of death and the afterlife and our fear of death and all these things. I mean, they're, they're just a sort of a cultural trope that's as important as, you know, the idea of heroism or, you know, all these things. It's just, it's a very, it's a very, very, you know, and it's that quote of if God didn't exist, we'd invent him. But it's kind of, you know, it's a similar sort of thing. Well, I mean, I think, you know, quite honestly, you know, in that, along that line, we... You know, the, the idea of the afterlife and all that is man-made. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, yeah. there, there's absolutely not a shred of evidence that exists anywhere to, you know, suggest that any mm-hmm. of that exists. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I had just such an odd experience one day walking down mm-hmm. Bloor Street, which is a major street up mm-hmm. here. And there was a woman in a purple jacket walking across the street, clearly not paying attention. It was a busy street, clearly not paying attention to the to the traffic. And I, I thought, she's insane something's happened and i went to run towards her but to run towards her i looked down for a second when i looked up she was gone and i have no idea what it means right ghost maybe i don't know or you know i, I have no idea and i don't believe in ghosts mm-hmm. but i think just weird stuff happens sometimes I Wait, think look just- i think i think that um i i am absolutely sure that 90 percent of what we think is mysterious and spooky now will be science in 50 years right. you know there's so much more that we that we yeah. don't understand. Well, I'm sure gravity blew cavemen's minds. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, no, sure no, no, no. But stuff like that, if you, if you, you yeah. know, yeah. gave an iPhone to a caveman, yeah. they'd think, you know, that they were being attacked by a demon. It's, yeah. you know... <laughs> <laughs> well, think about even, uh, you know, uh, Star Trek. You know, you watch the original Star mm-hmm. Trek shows. Mm-hmm. We have all that stuff now. No, I know, I know, I know. It's the same sort of thing. And, you know, and I, I'm always struck by that thing that... that, that the quote, I can't remember what the quote is exactly, but there's something that Freud said on his deathbed when he said, you know, if you could do it over again, you know, what would you, what would you, is there anything that you missed? And he said, I'd, 
you know, I'd look into telepathy because I think that, that the energy between the people is so much bigger than we understand. And I, I'm absolutely sure of that, you know. The, and also, the, on a scientific level, energy does transfer. It doesn't die. So, yeah. you know, there is, there's got to be something that's kind of going on there to explain all these things. that are in, in, And then get that plus what imagination does which is an incredibly powerful force then of course you've got all sorts of things we're at a film festival and it's just one of those weird kind of concentrated uh situations where i've just met a lot of very famous you know i mean Mm -hmm. you know very Mm -hmm. famous people in the last few days and i met brad pitt and and uh (laughs) it's just so weird when you meet someone uh, like he's got an enormous amount of charisma Uh and there's something about you you can't really put your finger on what that thing is Mm -hmm. but there's some kind of weird energy that he gives off that a lot of other people don't yeah yeah you know what i mean like it's i know it stretches a little bit the, the idea of it but there's something a little bit no, 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 no. You do come across people that yeah. sort of shimmer a bit. Yeah. And you're like, what? Is anyone who wants? Yeah. Like, what is that? Is no, he it's. An alien? <laughs> That's Rebecca Hall. She's great fun. Go see her in the gift. Right now, I'm just pulling the spam quiche out of the oven. If you want to know how to make it, and I know a few of you do, you need one can of spam luncheon meat. You cube that. A quarter of an onion, a quarter of a green pepper, a little bit of cooking oil, some shredded Monterey Jack cheese, some milk, some biscuit mix, four eggs, a little bit of pepper, boom, bake it for 30 minutes, and you've got Spam Quiche Surprise. Check back later on. I'll let you know how this one turned out. Thomas Lennon is up next. Thomas Lennon from Reno 911 to writing some of the biggest comedy hits of the last number of years has made his way through Hollywood in a really interesting way, building a really interesting career. Here we talk about being a writer for hire in Hollywood. You're a very busy writer, Mm -hmm. uh, writing movies, Night at the Museum, Mm -hmm. Hell Baby, all sorts of, Mm -hmm. uh, there's 10 or 12 big scripts Mm -hmm. that you've had produced. Uh, you act in Thank film. you for the shout-out for Hell Baby, because that movie opened on in five... Act- <laughs> it opened on five screens. <laughs> I have the most schizophrenic career. If you were to look through my IMDb credits, right. it looks like someone took, like, a bowl... If you're playing a game of, like, Celebrity Password <laughs> and took an insane sampling of titles... I, I, I Even I don't understand my career. I'm in two Merchant Ivory films. I'm in two Christopher Nolan films. But then I'm also in Boat Trip for some reason. <laughs> I, I cannot get a handle. What is, what is my agenda? I don't know what I'm getting at. No, the, the answer is I, uh, you have to do a lot of different things. Right. So many things if you're in the movie business. 90% of the things you will attempt will fall apart. Right. Is, is I'd say, pretty accurate. For, for the studio screenwriting... Uh, my my partner Robert Van Garant and I, we, at one point we figured it out. And I, for us, we've had a lot of films made, about mm-hmm. a dozen, which is a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, to put that in perspective, mm-hmm. um, a, a successful screenwriter mm-hmm. often might have three scripts, four mm-hmm. scripts produced in a career. You mm-hmm. script doctor, you mm-hmm. do other things, but you don't mm-hmm. typically get your mm-hmm. name on a credit on unless you're. William mm-hmm. Goldman or I don't mm-hmm. know who else. You don't get your name on 10, 12, 13. No, it's, it's super unlikely. Um, granted, some of those uh, films are egregious turkeys. But <laughs> this, is, this is the business. You know, they, don't, they don't always work out. But uh, to basically to get 
uh, one film made in our experience, and this is not, I'm not talking about spec scripts. You really need to write about eight films. If you write eight scripts, there's a chance, there's probably a 30% chance that one of them, of those eight, will get made. So it it just, I mean, it's an insane system. The movies fall apart for... The natural state of movies is basically falling apart. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we actually we wrote an entire book about it called Writing Movies for Profit, mm-hmm. um, which is basically about how to survive in the studio system. It's not really a writing. We can't really – you can't teach anyone how to write, but you can teach how to survive the insane studio system. Where, it's a very funny book as well. Thank you very much, yeah. but you'll be – I mean, I was – we were fired off of Night at the Museum three times. <laughs> <laughs> you get fired off your own movie three times. And the, the book is about how to gracefully accept – the insanity of the studio system, which is designed to make you crazy and doesn't love writers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Writers are really at you're the... pretty uh, you're pretty down on the totem pole. Yeah. You will you often find out you're fired off of a studio movie because the assistant uh, of some executive will call you and say, "Hey, could you send us a final draft copy of that script of yours? Because we only have a locked PDF and we just want to kind of look at it." <laughs> right. And you're like, "Oh." Great news. Yeah. We're fired. Should I bring mm-hmm. it in in person? No. Yeah. No, 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 no. In fact, not only that, you will not be let on the lot. So don't even try. Yeah. The Reno 911 has a fanatical yeah. devotion between two kinds of people, recreational drug users <laughs> and the actual police. Uh, those really? are the two. Yeah. Yes. And uh, law enforcement in general is a... Uh, uh, we got to do a lot of things uh, as a result of Reno 911. I, I sat on the president's helicopter in the Lieutenant Dangle outfit really? and shorts, yes, <laughs> yes I did. Um, so it, it opened a lot of doors, that, that show. Uh, you know, I think um, the, the Reno fans, we, you know, we, were, we did a lot of strange things on Reno that sometimes people noticed, sometimes people didn't even notice. I mean, that show was so like a stream of consciousness. We did an entire episode of Reno 911 that was inspired by Waiting for Godot, the play. <laughs> and yes, I just said it the way you're supposed to say yes. it. I know it's annoying, but that is apparently the way you say it. Felix. So Waiting for Godot. <laughs> um, and it was we were waiting for President Bush's motorcade to go by, but we were out in the desert and includes many references to the original play. And <laughs> it was like, where in the world are we ever going to have that opportunity again right. to do something so freeform, and th- there was a reference. Literally, we did that in the show. No person has ever commented on it. <laughs> it was just for us, apparently. It was we were spoofing uh, a very old, uh, somewhat absurd play yeah. that no one needed us to spoof. But we got to do. I mean, we would do. You know, we we did. Uh, we would shoot two hours of improvising a sketch called "Who Pooped in the Book Donation Box," which is uh, a great moment. Or we did one called Arby's Reenactment. <laughs> where um, we keep reenacting a, a crime scene that happens to be uh, has a, a lot of Arby's food in it, <laughs> and uh, we we were really free. They know honestly, we never really got a note in in six in eighty eight episodes and a movie. Yeah, there was never really any notes, and I think you can tell. And I think you can also tell that nothing on that show was you know vetted by anybody. There was right. no committees. There was no nobody approved. Anything, because you could never say the things that we were saying to each other. Right. Um, and we were a real group of friends and a legitimately diverse group of people. And, uh, you know, that one was, 
That was a really, really great time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, it absolutely. Was a, it was a, yeah. Now, the outfit did a lot of damage. Yeah. I would come home from Reno 911 days, and did you ever get in the shower and not realize that you have a lot of cuts on your body until the soap <laughs> hits them? Every day on Reno 911, I would get in the shower and realize my entire body, head to toe, was covered in, like, cuts and scrapes. I was basically wearing my underwear. Right. And then wrestling with Nick Swartzen in an alley <laughs> on roller skates. And and where did the costume, where was the inspiration for the costume? Did you come up with that? or, or the, the Lieutenant Dangle shorts, which, by the way, is still a very popular Halloween costume. Yeah. And I highly recommend it. You'll get a lot of... You get a lot of pats on the butt if you wear it. Just if you're into that sort of thing, yeah. just be ready for it because it's you'll get a lot of that. That's going to happen. Um, you know, I've been um, looking at uh, uh, Viggo Mortensen in the movie G.I. Jane. I don't know if you've seen it lately. Yeah. Not but, lately. But. but the Navy SEALs in training, uh, first of all, he's got a beautifully sort of highlighted mustache in that film. Right. And then they wear the tightest plum smuggling shorts you have ever seen. <laughs> and these are the real Navy SEAL training shorts. They're really, really tight. So I, I just basically that was my the inspiration was Vigo Mortensen, G.I. Jane. Look it up. If you haven't seen it lately, you realize, oh, that's the Lieutenant Dangle outfit. Basically. Uh, I, I think Vigo would be tickled by that. I think he would. I'm sure he would. <laughs> um, we talked about your work on uh, movies as a, as a screenwriter. And I wanted to ask you, uh, the films have made $1.4 billion mm-hmm. at the box office over, uh, over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, what movie did you write that turned out the least mm-hmm. like you planned? And what movie did, turned out the most? Oh, this is a fascinating. Um, the, there's two, the tie for the most, the first Night at the Museum film was very close to the script that we wrote. Um, but this is the double-edged sword of Hollywood. You ready for this? The other script that is word for word exactly what we wrote is the biggest flop of our entire careers. It almost took us out of the movie business. <laughs> it was a movie called Taxi. Oh, uh, Jimmy Fallon. Jimmy and, Fallon and, and Queen Latifah. Latifah. Yeah. Thanks for remembering. Yeah. Um, but it was word for word. It was, couldn't have been more exactly what we wrote. And an epic, epic disaster. Um, it was one of those weird moments where we, uh, it actually, te- the movie tested through the roof for some reason. They tested Taxi and it just absolutely off the charts. People were high-fiving and they loved it. And then a couple days before the actual film came out, we got a call from the producer who was leaving the country for a little while. <laughs> and he said, you know, you guys might, you might just want to lay low for a little bit. Really? <laughs> because, yeah. <laughs> because you know what he said well a movie like this comes out and you're just going to be radioactive for a little while you're going to be ready. that wow. was the word he used was radioactive uh so we got summoned into fox the following morning uh, after the the movie came out and they said uh, you need to pick something else to write and that ended up being night at the museum so right. so sometimes your your epic failures can lead to something nice well, but and and it kind of forced jimmy fallon out of the movie business so maybe the I, tonight show i'm waiting for that gift basket to thank little, me for that a little thank you note yeah <laughs> uh let's you know it's, it's tough and then the one you know it, it's it's impossible to describe the studio writing system people literally wouldn't believe it but right. i mean you know we worked on the secret life of walter mitty and there were 16 years of drafts of scripts, <laughs> sixteen years, um, from writers that that were oh, of course, long, long, oh, of course, long yeah. before you and long after you. And then, we, for example, we did not know we were there were six years of drafts of Night at the Museum before we came onto it. So it's it, it's a 
the disposable nature of writers in Hollywood is, yeah. is something that people never can quite. And then when you, you do get credit on something, you don't get credit on something, it's, uh, you know, there's those ones you're like, hey, we got credit. And then there's a slight pause. You're like, oh, yikes, did we want credit? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we're positive we wanted our names on Herbie Fully Loaded, <laughs> which we, we did right. <laughs> you did right. Is, is there any uh, Alan Smithy equivalent for writers? So Alan Smithy mm. is a name that directors mm-hmm. can put on a project if mm-hmm. they feel that the movie, the finished movie, doesn't reflect their work. Is, that, is there something like that for writers? You know, I don't know that there is. I, know, I do know that if you do not put your name on it, you never get any royalties. So there's that. Mm-hmm. Oh, never. Yeah. yeah. So uh, sometimes you gotta. Yeah, you just, just gotta suck, suck it up. up. You gotta and, say, yeah. "I'm sorry, yeah. that was us." Um, <laughs> but the house in France needs a new roof. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we uh, it was funny. We got actually got fired off of Herbie Fully. Lo- we've been fired off every movie we've ever written on. That's the way it works. Yeah. But Herbie Fully Loaded, we got fired off of because uh, uh, an executive was like, "Okay," and then Herbie smiles. And we're like, Herb, when does Her- Herbie smiles? There's a car, like his whole bumper just goes like. Like, that's insane. That's going to be the scariest, weirdest thing. And we drew a line in the sand and we said, we will not make that car smile. Like, he can bump people. His doors can open. He can, like, honk his lights. He can do Herbie-ish things. He'll make you fall in love. Yeah. <laughs> but he can't. we're not going to make the literally the whole bumper of the car go and smile. So the answer is we were fired immediately. And if you look at the poster for Herbie Fully Loaded, he has the biggest smile on his face that you've ever seen. I don't know how that car is smiling. It's insane. He's he's made of liquid metal or something. He's made of liquid yeah. metal, and he's in a very good mood mm-hmm. all the time, apparently. That's Thomas Lennon. He had to leave before we carved up the spam quiche, but I got to tell you, it's been a big hit here around the House of Krauss. Check it out. All you need is some spam, some eggs, delicious stuff. Phyllis Smith. I really like talking to her. She is a former St. Louis Cardinals cheerleader. She was a ballet dancer with the St. Louis Civic Ballet and the St. Louis Dance Theater. She was Phyllis on The Office. She is the voice of sadness in Inside Out, but she's also had loads of other jobs, and we talked about them recently. It's an interesting career that you've had. Because, to say the least, well, isn't to it? say the <laughs> least, I was doing some reading, and you were a dancer. I was. A, I started out as a professional dancer. Yeah, yeah. and and uh, but not like a burlesque dancer, but not a a show dancer. A show yeah. dancer. Right. And is that like Las Vegas show? Like, like not like the no big stripping, hats but and the things? the plumes and the feathers <laughs> and the g strings and the. And all of that. Um, and I also was a, in two ballet companies. Yeah. I was in a jazz company. I t- studied modern at uh, university in St. Louis. So um, that was my passion. And so you always dancing. wanted to be a performer. I always wanted to be a dancer. A dancer, but a dancer. not necessarily an actor. Uh, not necessarily an actor. And then um, when we came to L.A. to revamp the show, I had an injury and... I, I knew logically it was time for me to make a switch in my career because I was getting older um, and it was, make, it was hard to make that decision to change the career and as a dancer you generally when you're at a certain age there's not a lot to fall back on um, so I, I just did what I had to do to pay my bills you know like work I was a receptionist. I worked at a movie theater. I, I 
go to my nine to five job and then I change my clothes, get into my movie movie theater gig and work in the box office till 11 o'clock at night. And I did that for like three years. Um, what was then, the weirdest job that you had? Can you think of? Uh, weirdest? I Before I even got to LA, I worked uh, at, for JCPenney's yeah. and I worked in the um, warehouse tagging the merchandise. I don't even think they do it anymore, but um, I used to stand there and just tag thousands of fishing lures, our, our bowling balls, our <laughs> lamp, our uh, like roller shades, yeah, which yeah. are heavy as hell to, to lift around. So yeah, um, the people were great to work with, right. but the merchandise was, was a little challenging. Would you just time. let your mind Oh, Wander. Well, actually, oddly enough, you asked that question. I can remember standing there, like just tagging and thinking about life and wondering what it is that we all have in common uh, because we're not all given the same opportunity and we don't all even start at the same with the same, you know, some people's health is impaired when they're born and they don't even have that to start with. And, uh, and then others are charmed with, with, maybe intelligence or looks or whatever they're given and I'm thinking what there has to be something that we're all there's a commonality here something what is it you know and I figured out that it's the ability to love we all in some form or another want to be loved and to love and so that was my big revelation that you know my 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 uh, light bulb moment and also to make sure you're standing on a a if you're standing on a concrete floor, make sure you have some kind of some kind of uh, foam underneath yeah, you, because like otherwise you pay for it later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I love your ring too. What is that? Thank, well, it's it's uh, because I watch things for a living. Uh, that's an it was, eyeball. It was made, there it's you a real go. Glass nice. Eye. Yeah. Um, do you miss the office? I do. Yeah. yeah. You know, um, at first when it went off, we went off like in March, uh, and if. We generally would go on hiatus around that time. Uh, it was dependent upon like Steve Carell's um, movie schedules when we first started. So, and, and it just felt like we were going on hiatus. And then when July and August came around and we didn't go back, I really did have a sense of loss and going, okay, now what do I do? Yeah. You know. But fortunately, I'd already started this movie, so I did have some. Right. I had something to look forward to. Well, know? it's funny because uh, that's another show that 20 years from now will be on and it will have yeah. a life of its own. It's a show, like the, there's a handful of them. You know what's going, you know, what's interesting for me with The Office is that there's a whole new audience coming mm -hmm. up to me, a whole new age bracket starting around 14 or 16, yeah. and they're all streaming it. Right. They're not watching it on network anymore yeah, yeah. or cable. They're they're streaming it and they say, "Oh, my boyfriend and I stream it, or my mother and I." We and uh, so there's another whole layer of people watching it. So hopefully it will can have life for. It feels to me like know. a show that will. Yeah, 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 something to be proud of. It's a it, it's a, an achievement, a show that you know. Steve Carell, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but Steve Carell, we were actually filming the pilot. He said to us one day at lunch, he said, "You know." This could possibly be the best TV show we ever work on, right. and that was where we hadn't even completed the pilot yet. He had, a, he had an inkling from just the approach that it was, yeah. and and the leadership at that time. So, um, yeah, 
you know, I'm very happy to be associated with yeah. with both of these projects. Yeah. All right, that's it, everybody. Get out. There's nothing but spam crumbs left everywhere. I've got to clean that stuff up. But first, my thanks to Phyllis Smith, to Thomas Lennon, to Rebecca Hall, and to you for listening in every week. Be sure to join us again next Monday, because you never know who's going to stop by the House of Krause.